Hi, and thanks for tuning in to My Adventures at Home Brewing. I'm Dan Matthews, and come along with me as we talk about things for new home brewers, from gadgets to how we got started to, I don't know, all the mistakes we make along the way. So come along for the ride and have a beer or two along the way. Hey everybody, it's Dan one more time to go around the sun and have a beer or two along the way. Thanks for coming out. So this week we have uh, someone who started off as a home brewer and actually has done a lot, what a lot of us have actually wanted to do, which is build a brewery in our garage. So we have Chris Samuels from Evergreen Craft Ales from here in Ottawa, out in the West End in Canada. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, you guys have been open for about, what, a year or two years now? Uh, in Canada, we opened in uh, September 2019. So uh, I guess we're going on almost a year and a half now, I guess. Oh, right on. So Chris is one of those guys that um, did what every guy dreams of, which is turn your garage into a brewery. So what we're going to do is we're going to get Chris to tell us a little bit about himself. And then we're just going to end the brewery. And then we're just going to dive into it. All right. So Chris, it's all the show, show is all yours now, my friend. All right, man. Well, uh, let's see, where do we start? Started off like pretty much everybody else did. Uh, you know, home brewing is, uh, we looked at it as like, everyone always looks at home brewing as a way to save money, which I always thought was kind of funny because I thought, oh, well, if I can make my own beer, then I don't have to pay all those taxes and pay all that stuff. And so that's kind of got me, got me, got me thinking into home brewing. Uh, started off, I remember going to Costco one time and seeing those wart in the bottle kits where you pop the little pill of yeast in there and it makes beer and all that. And I bought one of those and it, oh, yeah. didn't, it didn't make beer. It was terrible. But I, the process kind of intrigued me at that point enough to to go out and buy a pot and start getting some extract and, you know, going on the stove top and, and you know, just trying different recipes. I remember the very first beer I ever tried was, um, it was Mill Street's, um, uh, the, the Cascadia Nail. What was that one called? Tank House. That was oh, the very yeah, Tank House, yeah. Beer. Very first clone beer I ever did. And I remember doing it on the stove and thought, wow. You know, it, the whole process was a disaster, but it, it ended up tasting like beer, and I was hooked at that point. So, um, over the next four or five years, I guess I, I, you know, did what everybody does, and you go buy a pot, you end up buying a cooler, and you get the brittle braid in the cooler, and then you're like, well, this is this sucks trying to chill it and carrying the pot to your tub. So you get an immersion cool chiller, then you get a you know plate chiller, and on and on and on. Um, it just snowballs. It it's ridiculous how much it snowballed because. Every every step of the way, there's something more interesting to learn about it, right? I mean, and every piece of equipment brings you up one step. You know, like they, they always say the biggest, most important step you'll take as a home brewer is when you finally have fermentation control, right? Like that's yeah, that's a, a game changer in the quality of the beer that you make. Um, I never got to that point until I until I actually built the brewery in my garage, and so at that point I was I was amazed. So I've done, you know, extract stove top to the 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 burner on the pot and the, you know, the turkey fryer in the backyard to mm -hmm. eventually getting a single tier propane uh, system that I've split with a neighbor of mine. Um, and then that and was short lived. And I decided, well, I want an electric brewery, right? So there's a guy, Cal, Cal Walner, an electric brewery, um, has a control panel and the whole plans on how to make this entire system. So I built one of those in my basement, in my laundry room. And the great thing about that was I could actually work. So I used to work at home at that time. Um, work and you can do all those steps kind of without having to sit around for a lot right so i found yeah. this efficiency in being able to brew that way and not having to tear down set up and do that all the time mm -hmm. um and that's when i kind of got to thinking about um having a brewery and so i got involved with um 
another brewery called Broken Stick Brewing out in East End. I was one of the yep. uh, originals in that one. I never quite made it to opening because we didn't quite have the same vision of the brewery and they've seem to have gone on to do pretty well right now, which is kind of cool. Um, then I spent some time trying to figure out uh, misguidedly, I think, trying to, how to do a really small brewery and make it fun. Because I think as a, as a home brewer, the exciting part about brewing is actually the brewing process where you forget about all the other stuff you have to do um, in order to run a brewery. And really brewing becomes a very small part of all of it. It's the important part, but it's a small part. And so I spent time looking around at different areas in the city that I, want, I wanted to get like a thousand square foot space and put a one barrel, one barrel brewery in there and I'd be brewing all the time and it'd be really cool hanging out and all that. And I kind of started looking at the cost of commercial space in Ottawa and it's like, well, that's, the economics don't make sense. So what if I could do this at home? So I, I found in my, in my searching around for the, the zoning for the other brewery, there was a, an exemption called the home-based business uh, uh, provision inside the city of Ottawa bylaws. And it allows you to operate a business as long as it fits uh, I think there's seven or eight different criteria. Um, so, you know, if Ottawa Public Health has to be involved in inspecting, you, inspection, you can't do it at home. If it makes a lot of noise, you can't do it at home. If it's, it's situated on your property outside, you can't do it at home. Well, I started going through this list. I'm like, well, I, I can adhere to all that. You know, that's not a problem. And so I talked to the people in the city. And I said, well, you know, based on what you have here, um, I will open a brewery in my garage in a residential space, right? And you're like, well, yeah, you, 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 you're not supposed to be able to, but you can. I'm like, okay, thanks. And that was good enough for me, right? Yeah. So, you know, go on a little bit further, talk to the AGCO about licensing. Um, they were actually very helpful because the one thing that you have to know about doing this with the AGCO is AGCO was not allowed to inspect a private residence. So you, I was planning on putting it in my basement at first, but because you can't, they can't have to cross through a private residence to get to the actual production site. They don't have the authority to go through to do inspection. So you have to have a doorway to the exterior of your building where they can go through and not go through private residence. So she, I remember speaking to the agent and she said, well, do you have a, do you have a garage or has a door to the outside or something like that? I'm like, well, yeah, I have a garage and get to it. She's like, well, we'd license that. Okay, that's cool. And so then from that, on, that point on, it was just like licensing any other brewery. Um, and I, and I get the question asked a lot. People say, well, um, they say, well, you know, how, how did you get it licensed? Was it hard to get the, the government to do licensing for it? I said, no, like it, once you get that local kind of blessing or exemption, uh, the rest of the licensing process is just pretty straightforward. It's just following the rules. So that's kind of how where I got find, to. Sure. How did you find that bylaw? Because to be honest, I've been looking at for that bylaw and I can't find it anywhere unless they've done away with it. No, it's still there. Well, so what's happened recently in the past couple of years in Ottawa is they, they changed it a little bit because I was using an example with them. I said, well, the, the thousand square foot space I was looking at, they said, well, you can't put a brewery there if it's the primary function of the business. It's only if it's an ancillary function. So that was the reason why Big Rig, for instance, was able to have their brew pub on Iris, Iris Road there because brewing was technically not the primary function of their business, even though their brew house, they are, I think they have a seven barrel or 10 barrel brew house, whatever it is. So right. they're still brewing but it wasn't the primary business, but they've since changed that. So there's now, um, it's, what's it called? Is it called the, there, there, there's, there's now a, a bylaw in the city of Ottawa that if you don't exceed over like 4,000 square meters or something, you can locate in almost any commercial, industrial or retail zoned area in the city. So that didn't, that didn't exist when I started. Um, mm -hmm. It still doesn't apply for residential, but now it's a lot easier to do that kind of stuff. But the home-based one is really, it's, it's to sum it up, it's as long as you don't piss off your neighbors, you can do it. 
That's what it comes down to. It is because it's a complaint-based system. If someone complains about you disturbing the neighborhood or anything, right. then they'll send investigators out there to, to, to check. Um, I checked with all my neighbors before before I started, and they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And I'm like, well, I live here too, so I don't want to ruin the place either. So it uh, it worked out well like that. We just obeyed the rules and, uh, you know, sold some beer. Wow. Okay. So... I'm gonna just have to check with my neighbors because I'm on the I'm in the planning stages of possibly doing this myself because I'm looking at maybe getting a 20 gallon electric system from Spike, right? Which I which I think for me for for what I'm doing here because my friends and family are asking for beer faster than I can make it, right. so so I figure out it's time to upgrade a little bit. But you know. It, it's going to require like more electricity, more water and things like that. So how did you go about figuring out um, your requirements if it was an electric or was it gas that you were doing? Uh, it was an electric system built by uh, stout tanks down in, uh, in Ohio, I think. Um, I, I followed the path of what the electric brewery, what, you know, Cal Walnut's electric brewery site did and, you know, realizing that uh, I wanted it's a one barrel system. So the one piece of advice I'll give to you this, well, just to start off right now, um, get as big a system as you can get because the amount of work is the same. Even, even mm-hmm. the brewing, we're on a 15 barrel system here. Our brew day is the same length as it was doing one barrel in the garage. Um, right. It's, you know, so labor is a big part of it. Um, you'll find that 20 gallons, you'll be sold out so fast. And you'll have to brew again and you'll be constantly brewing. And the other thing is it, it's expensive running a brewery. Um, the, the, the scale is tricky because you know, your licensing is $3,500 for two years, right? Mm-hmm. That's your, uh, your, your licensing, your excise bonds, your insurance, um, all this kind of stuff that comes along with, with selling beer. Um, that's the part that I struggled with a little bit in the garage was that um, the economics didn't make sense, especially because I was canning the beer there as well. So buying pallets mm-hmm. of cans and there's, it's a, it's a lot of money starting it. And so when, you know, when we started here in Canada, it was as big a system as we could get, so we would be brewing less because there's a lot of other work to do besides just brewing. Unfortunately. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that much I do I do know between the the cleaning, the bottling, mm-hmm. and the ordering of ingredients and things like that. Totally get it. So now I know that um, it took you a while to get off the ground, from what I've been what I've been told and like, and people really enjoyed your beer for there, but what were some of the major, major hurdles you had about setting up in your garage? I mean, it, it, it can't be just, you come in, you throw the system in, you plug it into the wall and you go, there had to be some upgrades that had to be done. Yeah. Um, well, actually the, the, well, my house was only wired for hundred amp. So I had to actually get my upgraded electrical to my entire house. That was, but that, that was an investment in the house too. Now we have more electricity and that's good. So, uh, to get the electricity installed in the garage, we had to put a sub panel in there and get right. GFIs put on everything and all that. So those things all cost, they all cost money, but they're worthwhile, um, you know, just because in addition to the house. Um, I found space was a little tricky. So when, when, we, when I started, I built these um, uh, cooling chambers. You know, I, had a, I had an air conditioner with a cool bot and I built these kind of wooden structures to put my, non, my non-jacketed fermenters in um, that worked amazingly well for temperature control. Um, that worked really well, but it took up a lot of space. And then I added in um, two 300 liter fermenters and a 300 liter bright that I bought from Whippersnapper. And that ate up more space. And so I eventually just kind of ran out of space in there because I was, and so I had to store cans at my parents' place in their garage. And 
I started to grain in my basement to keep away from the mice and, right. and all that kind of stuff. And so the space was definitely uh, an issue in there. Um, and the ability to not really supply a lot of drafts. Like we were selling a lot of cans and it was good. Like we just opened every Saturday from 12 to three and, and sold beer and that was good. Um, it didn't, it needed to do more to raise the profile, I think, of the brewery. And that got a little bit tricky because you, as soon as you send a keg out to a restaurant, there's one third of your batch gone, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're running out and you can only produce so much beer. Like that's, that's the thing about brewing, right? Is you can, you can't rush the beer. It, no, you it, can't. It, it take the time it takes and that's it. So if you sell out then you're gone for two weeks and you have nothing there, um, people's minds will shift somewhere else and they'll go over there. Yeah. So uh, capacity was always, always an issue. Did you have any problems with, um, I guess, finding people that wanted to supply you with ingredients and things like that? Because they're probably thinking, well, here's a guy, he's working out of his out of his house. I mean, how much can he possibly need? Were you buying from the local homebrew stores? Did you have to deal with suppliers? No, I was buying from Country Malting Group right off the start. Uh, right. Buying grain and pallet at a time. And a pallet at a time, you know, maybe 20, 30 sacks, you know, at a time. And just stockpiling it in my basement. Um, I found cans to be the biggest problem because you can only buy cans by the pallet. Like you can't, right? Uh, or unless you want to pay like you know, eight, you know, fifty cents a can, which is not not going to happen. Um, so you know, we I'd have to buy a pallet of cans and I'd get it delivered to my dad at my parents' house and I'd have to go up there and I'd fill one layer. One layer was equal to two of these giant boxes that I had. So I usually have about four boxes of cans sitting there ready to go. Um, but yeah, people, I, I found that as long as you had money to pay for stuff, people would sell you whatever you wanted, right? It's, uh, you know, you don't benefit from the, the the scale that you get from, you know, a brewery like here where you order a lot at one time and you get different price breaks, but they'll always sell it to you. It's always available. In retrospect, I think what I, I should have done is I should have, you know, gone and bugged local breweries about, hey, can I just buy like cans off you, you know, do that. Mm. It would have made a lot more sense. Um, but Yeah. So with your canning, were you using like an Oktoberfest canner or a cannular system, like the one can uh, at a time? Dixie canner. Yeah. Dixie one can canner. At a time, filling off the tops. I had a, a beer gun with my, my CO2 purge, and then I'd fill off the tops with the growler fillers and then uh, put on the single line or single can seamer. That worked really well. It's a, that can seamer is actually a small pony barrel. <laughs> works right now for the litter sellers. <laughs> so I was like, hey, can I borrow that? And like, yeah, I guess we're not using it. So there you go. So it's, it's moved on to, a few places now. Well, if you're thinking about selling it, I'll buy it from you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll take you up on that sometime. I'm just still uh, working. I'm not kidding. Yeah, I'm still on straight dog. Yeah, well, that's good. Well, you can just use theirs. <laughs> For my home stuff? Come on. <laughs> well, you can learn. That. There's ways to adapt stuff off to, to, to can off a keg, right? I mean, there's a few guys in the city here that uh, I know Andy Nita has it hooked up, so he's a uh, hooking up on the kegs if he needs to and can can off that there's there's a there's a way to do it and uh, we plan on getting figuring that out here too when we get our lines you know to be able to can off a keg is is golden because you don't have beer sitting around if you have some that's not going to sell for a little while like, like, like right now yeah um, really yeah. yeah that's one thing i i know that we've done uh over at stray dog is like uh sometimes if we've had to we've put the beer back into the bright tank to make it a little right. bit easier to make it go through the canning line mm -hmm. but I guess, it, how big of an investment were you looking at when you were actually building out uh, the garage and putting the gear in? I mean, it's not just a couple thousand dollars. It's like close well, to like a... Yeah, it makes me cringe to think about it right now, actually. 
Um, the electrical was a big cost. The electrical cost us, I think, 5,000 bucks because we had to upgrade right boat to the pole for our house. So that was a, a big chunk that doesn't get recouped back with the brewery, but it, it's now being used in other ways. But, it, you know, it was it's still a good investment. I think that the, the one problem was ordering stuff from the U.S. because the dollar was really low when I ordered stuff. So I got dinged on the exchange quite a bit. In the end, I think I probably spent, I'm going to say, not including the electrical, probably over ten, eleven thousand dollars and all that over time. Like the original brew house and stuff was pretty easy. And then the control panel was custom built by, by somebody I know for me. So that didn't cost as much. Um, and then there's just all little bits like buying kegs, right? Because you have to store your kit. You have to, if you're canning off of your kegs, you have to have kegs. And so you have to buy kegs. Um, there's just all kinds of little things you don't think about. That I didn't think about when I started off like that, that you need to have in order to, in order to function, just not even to thrive, just to be able to exist as a brewery. So, hmm. I would never have thought that um, on the homebrew scale, I mean, other than just using corny kegs that you want to look at getting like um, kegs big enough to supply to restaurants. I mean, personally, uh, for me, is just I'm supplying like the local neighbors <laughs> and, yeah. and whatnot. So I don't have the need for that. I mean, when I'm going to family down the Eastern Townships of Quebec. Yeah, they're taking like 10 to 15 gallons at a shot. So it almost right. wipes me out in one go. So but well, you know, you still have, the thing is you still have to pay off that license fee right so that's you know mm -hmm. like i said 3500 bucks for two years for any brewery no matter what size you are um you have to have at least two million dollars in liability insurance that goes along with all that as well right these are all these are all requirements of the actual license as well so you can't actually get your license without these pieces in place um okay. so there's there's other costs that when you're you know take you're, you're and personally, in my opinion, if, it, if it's just taking beer down to friends and family and stuff, I wouldn't even turn it into a, a real brewery. I'd invest in all the equipment and all the great stuff that, that people are looking for to make really great beer. Um, but once you start charging money for it, it gets to be very expensive. There's a, a certain level of expectation that comes with paying for beer, too. And what are some of those expectations that you've been kind of privy to? Well, beer, can't, beer has to be good, right? Um, oh, obviously. Yeah, but that, but to get to that point um, on, a, on a scale you're producing a lot, it, it, it's, it's, it's a lot of work, you know? And I think that in order to make back the investment, so I never made a, a dime out of my garage. I think uh, I, I broke even for sure. I never had to drop any more money into it. Um, and it served its purpose to get to where, where we are right now. Um, but it's, I, I would keep, I would if I could go back right now, um, I would probably would have stayed as a, as a home brewer and kept giving away more and more beer to people to get that, that connection uh, right. that you have. Because I met my, my, my partners in, at Evergreen now, uh, one of them I play hockey with, and that's how we kind of got to, to talking. He'd order beer every, every Wednesday night before we're bringing in for hockey on Thursday morning. That's what got him interested in actually being part of this, right? So. Mm -hmm. It depends what it depends on what your what your your goal in the end of it is. If, if your goal is going pro when you open up a, a regular brewery, it's a great starting point because you'll get all the ins. Well, you've got all the ins in the brewery in the brewing industry anyway, right, Dan? You know already know everybody, so it's all good. <laughs> yeah, yeah I guess. Lot, though, because having for me getting that, having the legitimacy of a real brewery gave me access to to talk to people that I wouldn't have gotten as just a home brewer per se, right? They were. You know, if I can go up to, I'm friends with, you know, know most of the guys in the entire city and most of them through home brewing or through 
uh, starting up before. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm fortunate to work where I do or, and, and also having worked with BrewDonkey that I got to meet all these people and I have ends, I can ask questions and, and, sure. and learn stuff, but not everyone has that. And, and right. unfortunately, unfortunately, sometimes people kind of like me sometimes beat their head against a keyboard trying to figure stuff out, um, which is usually what happens when I'm frustrated, take my keyboard and smack it on my head. And I'm <laughs> being honest. Um, but if someone really wants to, in their area, look into this, where should they start looking? I mean, um, if you don't know where to be looking in um, in your bylaws, is there someone you can, you can talk to? So if you, if you actually Google home-based business Ottawa, um, mm -hmm. the city of Ottawa website for Ottawa anyway, so every jurisdiction is different. So I'm only talking about Ottawa right now. That will give you the starting point for what the rules are for being in a residential location. Um, it's been residential has been done. We know it can be done um, legally. The second step would be check your neighbors, talk to your neighbors, canvas the neighborhood, see if there's anybody who's going to cause you any problems, um, who's going to report you or hassle you for doing what you're doing. Um, right. Once you get clear of that, I think it's pretty smooth sailing uh, for that. That's that's where I'd start because the rest of it is just all. It's all just steps, you know, getting your, getting your, your provincial license depends on you getting your federal license. Uh, getting your federal license depends on you having an excise bond, which means talking to an insurance broker, which mm -hmm. means getting your insurance in place and all that as well. Uh, okay. It really, really comes down to um, what your local situation, like your micro local situation is, as in your neighbors beside you, and also how you plan on distributing. Cause so what I was doing was opening the garage door from 12 till three on Saturdays, I'd have people drive up and come to the garage and buy beer. And, but we didn't have big lineups so we didn't make big noise and we didn't have parties right. and all that kind of stuff. And that was totally fine with everybody that was around us. Um, other neighborhoods are different. Some people may not like that extra traffic. They may not like that, you know, they just may not like beer, who knows? I can't imagine right. that. Um, but yeah, that's, and, and that's kind of a good thing too, because it's about the community anyway, right? So mm. having all those people on your side, like some of my best customers even now are the same people that live on my street, you know, that still continue to support us just because they, they're part of that beginning. <coughs> okay. So if you could change one thing about the size of the system when you started, what would you change it to? I would have gotten probably a double the size of the brew house. I probably would have gotten a two barrel system. Okay. Um, it would have reduced the amount of work and, and create the amount of stock, have the amount of stock available. So I wouldn't be brewing so often to keep going. I was, I was also working full time at the same time too, right? So mm -hmm. you take a full time job at you know 50 hours a week and then you tack on, this was easily a 20 to 35 hour a week uh, job, let's just mm -hmm. say. And um, finding ways to cut down the amount of work that you're physically doing will allow you to actually focus on um, getting beer out to people, designing labels, you know, all that stuff that comes, all the fun stuff that comes along with it. But spending less time um, actually brewing and um, having more stock available. So you always have variety for people to come in and try out different things. I think that's one thing I would have changed. Secondly, I think I would have, I would have probably had less of a focus on packaged beer and really tried to look at some licensee sales, um, you know, for some smaller places. I think that would have been a really good way to get the beer in front of people 
without the the cost and work of packaging uh, packaging okay. one can at a time you know i'd sit there and put the tv on and watch a hockey game and just sit in the garage all night and just can one at a time one at a time and at the end of the day you come up with like 100 and 150 cans worth, worth of beer now when we have canning going on that's how much we get in like three minutes yeah right? so yep. it, it's a you think about the amount of time just spent there doing that and you know, whereas fulfilling a keg doesn't take much time at all and, and delivering a keg is easier and so there's I, I don't know what the proper balance of that actually would have been but i think i would have tried to get a few more draft sales just to and with a bigger system just to kind of keep beer flowing a little bit more and get it out in front of people and, and generate a little bit more income just to make the make the business uh, worthwhile in that space did you have to have any signs or did you put any signs outside your garage to say this is where you were or yeah uh, yeah, you have to have one legal marker that shows where the brewery is, according to, was it, I can't remember if it's a federal or provincial government. You had to have something that denotes this is a site that produces where the beer is being produced. And so I had a little custom-made evergreen street sign, green craft street and they just kind of put up over top of my garage. And that okay. was the That said, we never got inspected the whole time we were there. So, you know, it didn't really matter, I suppose, but it was, it was one of the legal requirements. Okay. So... What is your best memory of having the garage brewery? Best memory. Oh, there's a lot of good stuff. I think the first time that I actually saw a good review online was one um, that people, well, having a customer come back a second time is always a good one. That was, always, I remember the first time we opened, we had, there's a little crowd of neighbors that all kind of came up and they were all around there. And, and you know, they all bought the beer, maybe out of politeness or whatever. But what's been really good about that is the feeling when they come back. So you know you kind of did something right. And mm -hmm. being being the brewer and the person who sells it and the person, you know, it's it's harder than you have to have a bit of a thicker skin, right? Because you, not everyone's gonna like every one of your beers. And but you have to be sitting there watching them sample it and try it and just understand that sometimes just they're just not gonna like it. And sometimes people are gonna yeah. be way nicer to you than perhaps the beer deserves to be as well. And so that I, I like the fact that when I see people come back, that means that we did something well. And it means I have customers that have come back for the past, whatever it is, four years now from the garage to here. And they come back for a maiden voyage pale ale, but that was our, my flagship beer over there. And that, that always, that's always a good memory that I have for that. And when all the equipment showed up, that was pretty exciting too. But <laughs> I can imagine it was like unwrapping brand new presents. I bet. Yeah. All right. So were you able to sell like, like, glasses of beer on your property or or were well, you doing that we were only sampling we, couldn't, we didn't get sampling license that would the, buy the glass license was a little bit different back then and what so city of ottawa has a black and white exemption on that now so if you apply for the buy the glass uh, taproom license you don't have to go through all the uh, the alcohol licensing um process that wasn't the case back when we opened and and quite frankly i didn't really want to sell beer by the glass and become a right. pub or anything like that. It was a 200 square foot garage, right? There wasn't a whole lot of space to, to do that inside mm -hmm. there. Okay. So how long were you inside the garage doing all this? I mean, if you've only been at Canada for a year and a half, were you doing the garage for a couple of years or? Almost three years, yeah. Oh, wow. Three years. Yeah. Okay. So you, you actually, you actually, built yourself up for confidence before you actually went and dove into it 
Yeah, for sure. Like you, you, you need to get a certain number of brew days and understanding of what you're doing. Like I'm not a tech, I'm not a super technical brewer. I'm really more of a touch and feel kind of brewer. And so that I definitely get that from the garage and being able to see the combinations of things. So everyone develops their certain style. And I definitely have a style of how I brew that's, you know, very definitely me. And you need that time to develop that style and having the multiple brew days and having that feedback from people and seeing people's reactions and, and reading about what, you know, people say about, you know, all that, um, it helps you really shape, uh, you know, what, what you're doing and how you want to proceed because friends and family, like my friends and family would always say, Oh yeah, this, this is pretty good. I had one friend who would tell me when something was really bad, which was, which was good. Um, but until you get strangers out there kind of really evaluating stuff, um, you don't really get a, I, for me personally, I didn't feel like I had a really good sense of if I could actually go any further uh, because I needed to see that hard critique of people and, and what they thought about the beers. And so that I found that to be very valuable. Uh, sometimes a little, sometimes a little tough, but you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, I agree. There. I agree. Yeah. I mean, there's been, I've, there's some people I've, uh, have, who've asked for beer, I've given it to them. They're like, tastes great, but it's kind of flat. And I'm like, yeah. carbonation oh god and i'm like okay carb all right and i'm like i'm thinking which one are you drinking oh, i'm drinking the stout it's it's not it doesn't have the same kind of head as if you pour it out of a tap and i'm like oh it's not gonna but okay but yeah. you it's like you said it's you need a thick skin but the the feedback is great so you actually know where things have kind of gone wrong where things are going right yeah. um is there a, are there a lot of people out there doing this, like starting off at, to be pro brewers in the garage or starting it up in the area? In our area, I only know of, well, I know of one other brewery that's open that started in the garage. He started in his garage after me. Um, I've sold my system to a couple of guys, but they're doing, they, they um, are doing their own thing. I don't know if they're actually licensing a brewery, but they're doing brewing for friends and family on the one barrel system. They, they bought all the equipment basically like, um, wow for that so father and son combo so i haven't spoken to them in a while but i suspect that they're just chugging along fine they're pretty keen to get going um other than that i don't know i asked the uh the agco agent i said well am i am i the smallest brewery in ontario and she said well i can't really tell you that it's privacy issues and all that but apparently there was one restaurant somewhere in southwestern ontario that had licensed a 10 gallon uh system in his in the back of his restaurant so i might not have had the claim to the, the smallest brewery in ontario although as far as i as far as i knew i was but there may be other guys i would tell you tons of inquiries from people um about this exact topic about wanting to do it but i don't really know mm -hmm. if they're following in doing it well i can honestly say i'm seriously considering it just not necessarily to open up a business but to make myself a better brewer and to supply my local local area with right. a little bit a little bit of something something for me right. um I, I can say though that i'm seriously considering opening up a homebrew store so okay uh, so hopefully there's a, space, there's a space for that and i think that there's i've always thought oh, i shouldn't say this because this is going to take give the idea away i always thought the idea of having these shared space businesses where you have multiple craft businesses working under the same roof um, would be super cool it'd be really cool like I've actually started a, a coffee roasting business in my garage now. I saw um, that. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to so, have to come to you for espresso. <laughs> yeah. But that, but see, my brewery paved the way for that because the electricity was already in there for it all. Right. So I didn't have to go right. spend any upgrade there. So it was already there, but you know, there's, I think there's a huge like demand for these kind of smaller, uh, smaller craft products that can, where you don't want to go make a million dollars. And that, by the way, if you're opening a brewery, it's pretty hard to make a million dollars, but um, yeah. There, there are niches to fill in there like that, you know, just to serve your local area with different kinds of things like that. So a homebrew store can com combine with a brewery would actually make a lot of sense, right? Because you're just adding more stuff to it. That's 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 and actually my end goal is to do that because I like to have maybe a one barrel system inside of a homebrew store and to have like a little space to do some like lectures or people coming and talking how to do certain styles of beer and then have like things like my my seven gallon or eight gallon uh, robo brew use it as a test system for people to learn on and then if it works take it to the bigger system and there we go your beer that we worked on that worked yeah. out really well is now going to be made inside the brew house aim, aim a little higher though get a three to five barrel system in there you'll, you'll be surprised like i'm i'm still in awe of scale at breweries and realizing in the grand scheme of things how small evergreen really is where we are right now and I still mm -hmm. walk in every day and look at how big these tanks are. I'm like, wow, this is pretty cool. But I also know that we're just a tiny, itty bitty little drop in yep. the beer world in the amount that we produce. And you know, you'd be surprised that if you have um, the right mix and, and and the right kind of environment, you'd be happy if you got that five, you know, a five or, or bigger system in a place like that. If that's where you're going, I, I think it'd be it'd be a blast having a five barrel system. And just brewing that amount, I think, would be so much fun to just be yeah. doing it all the time. It'd be it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I I can I can see that. I can definitely definitely see that. All right. Well, I think we've reached to pretty much the end of the show there, Chris. Thank you very much for being on the show. Greatly appreciate it, and also all the insight. You were frozen. Yeah, there no problem. Me. At any time, and if you have any <laughs> questions or anything. Uh, if you have any questions about anything, by all means, feel free to reach out and uh, I'll send you a link offline there to those, uh, those bylaws for you. Awesome. Thanks a lot, guy. So guys, again, this was Chris Samuel from uh, Evergreen Craft Ales out here in the West End of Ottawa and Canada. If you're here in the Ottawa area, please go check them out. It's great beer. It's a really cool place. Unfortunately, all the tap rooms are closed right now due to the COVID, but go and support local. If you're a beer lover, lover support, support your local brewery, support Chris and his guys. It's a great setup. It's a great place to go and have beer. Chris, again, thanks a lot. And we'll see you on, on the other side. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Dan. So I'd like to say thank you to Chris for being on the show this week. Lots of cool information for those of us who are considering maybe doing what he did by starting out and creating your own little home brewery where you can actually produce uh, beer for sale so yeah if you get a chance go check it out uh, go check out Chris at Evergreen Craft Deals really cool guy lots of great beer there and uh, let him know I, I sent you so with that said thanks for coming along for the ride of the beer or two along the way and one more time around the sun and we'll see you on the other side